Welcome to the podcast of ideas. I'm Rob Lyons. Well, after an extended summer break, we're back and there's really only one story to discuss at the moment. In the early hours of Wednesday morning, we found out that Donald Trump had been elected as the next president of the United States. Billionaire property developer with no experience of elected office and more famous as being the face of reality TV's show The Apprentice has won an election marred by personal insults, conspiracy theories and illiberal proposals. Trump defied every rule of electoral politics. He had little or no organisation on the ground. He received only lukewarm backing from his own party and he made statements that were tantamount to racism and was pilloried for his attitudes to women. Yet he beat a very experienced, high-profile opponent in Hillary Clinton. So how did that happen? What does it tell us about America today and politics more generally? I'm joined by my colleagues Claire Fox and Jeff Kidder to discuss what's happened. So how did he do it? And um, Maybe we could also ask, why didn't Hillary do it? Claire? I think that latter question is probably the answer to the first in many ways. And I think it's maybe hard for us to understand in the UK just how loathed Hillary Clinton and that whole cabal around Washington politics is perceived by people. So partly it's an anti-politics vote, but partly it's a recognition that what has gone on amongst the elite in American politics has been so thoroughly removed from the lives and lived experience of ordinary people, seen to be such a corrupting kind of cronyist affair with no political content worth considering that in some ways anyone could have stood and won against her. But I think it indicates how bad she is that someone as flawed as Trump won. I want to be able to explain why people voted Trump in a number of ways, but I don't want to be uh, over-romantic about it. I know that there will be a hardcore of alt-right racist voters, uh, people who are obnoxious, people who actually liked some of the more uh, vile, illiberal sides of Trump. But One of the things that's been extraordinary in the aftermath has been the vicious and unapologetic way that commentators transatlantically have turned on the voters for voting the wrong way, dripping with contempt, sneering at people, accusing them of racism, of misogyny, of being ill-informed, stupid, backward. And I think the more that that goes on, the more you can see why the vote for Trump has a slightly positive side to it because people are not prepared to accept being treated as deplorables, being treated in such a way. And also, on the night of the election, really for the first time on British TV, because it went on for so long, commentators were forced to go and actually talk to some real Trump supporters. And of course, inevitably, they discovered that rather than these kind of knuckle-dragging rednecks, that they were ordinary decent people who'd thought about who they were voting for, who said things like, I could think Trump's stuff on the infrastructure is really interesting. I'm interested in his jobs programme. I agree with him on trade. In other words, they thought about the issues. And almost without exception, and they interviewed a lot of people because it did drag on a bit getting the results in. They had to interview people. People would say things like, because I don't agree with his racism, because I don't agree with his attitude to women, you know, if he came near my daughter, I'd tell him, I'd thump him one, things like that. But then they'd say, but he, he is a change and he will, Clinton doesn't deserve our vote and so on. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's striking is how the East Coast elites have branded people who live in the Midwest, um, people who they see as being different from them who live in the red states, branded them in derogatory ways for about 10 years and thought nothing of it. 
They had lizard brains and they thought in different ways. Then Obama did his talk on people clinging to guns and religion. And there was a bit of pushback against that. But this time, with the basket of deplorables and, and, and Hillary's statements on this at a fundraising event, um, there really has been a massive reaction. And people have gone around wearing the T-shirt saying, I am a deplorable, we are deplorables. And when people say any right and right-thinking woman couldn't possibly support Trump, they all wear T-shirts saying women for Trump. And there's just been a massive reaction. And so... Whereas the elites could hold things in check until recently, it does seem now they've just lost control of the whole thing and they're just trying to keep a lid on it, trying to condemn people and ridicule them and put them back in their box in, in a way. And, and it just isn't working anymore, which means we're almost in a whole new situation. Where it's going to go, as I agree with Claire, Trump is not a nice person. He's a, a demagogue who will change his view on one thing and the next day we'll say something else and it's totally unpredictable and it's alarming that he's the president. But you can see why it's come to pass and it's certainly the case that the elites have certainly lost a grip and lost authority. So where it goes from here, I don't know, but it's a, it's a, it's an interesting time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think that Hillary is more a factor in a way than, than Trump, as in I think the, the votes were that the, she was six million votes down on where Obama was four years ago, and Trump was about a million votes down from where Romney was. So you can see that that's a, that's a huge difference in terms of the, the final outcome. And obviously there's a sense of desperation on the part of a lot of people that they think, we're not getting listened to, nothing is changing. The, pe the person who's supposed to be you know, the sort of liberal left candidate is as establishment as you could possibly get. So there's no possibility to change here. And I suppose there there is a degree of desperation about this, that they want something to change. And, you know, they're prepared to take the risk on Donald Trump for all his many, many flaws. It's, a, yeah, as you said, you, you know, the, East, the East Coast elites are somewhat out of touch if, if they think that you know, if they don't really get that issue. There was a, somebody posted on Facebook um, about how one of their well-to-do Democrat-supporting colleagues in uh, New York had decided to go out and try and get the vote out for Hillary in Pennsylvania and had decided to bring a flak jacket with him. And that's how sort of completely the idea of like going in inland and dealing with ordinary people, you know, you needed to be have protection. There's been a lot of discussion about whether people have been voting against their own interests or don't know their own interests. I mean, we just mentioned it in relation to women that, you know, that, that Trump is this misogynist or, you know, that why would they vote for a billionaire who doesn't seem to have the interests of the workers at heart? I mean, is there any truth in that, do you think? Well, one one thing that I think people underestimate is that Trump is seen to kind of shoot off from the mouth. But one of the things that is appealing about that, and, and you know, he can say some stupid things, but all of the commentary who say things like, he's up, you know, firing off <coughs> tweets at 3am. It's certainly not very statesmanlike. But you've got to think what the contrast has been, which is a political elite that is absolutely rehearsed, spin doctors surrounding them, every word they say is meant to elicit a certain reaction. People have no, you know, and they're technocrats and there's no content to it. So in some ways there is a kind of a an appeal of somebody who, you know, says it as it is, even though they don't even take seriously what he says as it is. I mean, people will say, and a number of the women that I've seen interviewed uh, uh, particularly have just sort of said, yeah, 
He's just mouthing off like a lot of blokes. You know what I mean? And they take it in that sort of form. Now, you you know, there is almost hysteria. I mean, almost hysteria, particularly amongst, you know, liberal feminists that I know and about these self-loathing women. Because an awful lot of women voted for him. So you kind of either get two versions of this. Either they're white women. So, of course, that immediately means they're racist women. That's one implication. Or they are absolutely in denial, need re-education, or under the thumb of men. I mean, it's the most condescending way of viewing things. The thing is, is that real women who live in the real world have heard worse than Trump has said. I mean, you know, there are blokes. <laughs> this is blokish. I make no excuse for it. He deserves a kicking. That's not the point. The, 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 the unreality of those people who treat him as though he is the worst threat to women. His views on abortion, by the way, are something to watch, but that's a political point. And many people in America don't agree with my views on abortion, don't agree with Hillary's views on abortion. You can't write them off because they have a different view on a political and moral subject. The other thing is just that it is worth noting that a lot of women who voted for Trump or will not be corralled into this complete identity politics nightmare view, which is that you're meant to kind of vote with somebody because they've got a vagina and so on, has been rejected on the one hand by everyone from Susan Sarandon and a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters, a lot of young millennial women who just said, no, she Hillary's not, she might be a woman, but she's everything we despise in politics. And secondly, to bear in mind, very recent history, is that Hillary is married to Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, as president, was notorious for the fact that as the most powerful man in the world, that he used that power to engage in relations with a wide range of young women. I make no moral comment on it, but it does sum up the kind of two-facedness of this, that people will say anyone who votes for Trump is a misogynist or a, a rape apologist, and then say, but, you know, well, Bill Clinton, well, you've got to understand about Bill Clinton. You know, you've got to understand the Hillary, you've got to understand... Blah, and then there's a sort of whole range of excuses. So um, I, I think, again, it's just that big divide that the people who are shocked at Trump's win, their shock indicates exactly why he won. People don't necessarily vote as women, as Latinos, as whatever categories are used in these polls which are on the television. You know, people in the Midwest will want jobs. They'll see what's in the interest of their families. Nothing's helped them. It's a much more complicated picture. The idea that you have to segment everybody into this and therefore you vote as a woman, you vote as a Latino, you vote as African-American. Maybe some people think like that when they vote, but a lot of people don't. And why would they? It's just not how the world works. And generally, there's a view that the Washington establishment and, and more broader, whoever represents them, it, it isn't going to work. There's one of my Facebook friends who said, I hate both of them. But at the end of the day, we couldn't carry on as we were. I mean, it's it's hardly a ringing endorsement of any of the candidates. But it's just, there's the sense that something had to change. And Trump was the only person who was there, who might not be a very edifying spectacle. But he was the one, whereas with Hillary, you knew you were going to get, as you probably would have done, a continuation of of, of what went before. And I think on a lower turnout than before, but sufficient people felt that that wasn't a, an, an option for them. So they had to had to change. Well, perhaps the most striking thing about the election, after all the talk about the vote switching or whatever, is actually that 
barely more than half the electorate vote, voted, which should be a condemnation of the entire sort of political class and, and, and the system itself, that, that so few people thought it was important to um, get involved. So what, we, what does this say about democracy? I mean, there's an awful lot of people who say this discussion of, you know, we need to get, you know, do something else rather than democracy. Democracy is the problem. People are ignorant. We need alternatives to this to get decisions done, you know, which obviously just it seems to, to me to be making the thing worse. But what does it say about democracy now? And what does it say about what's going to happen in the next few months around the world? Is this going to just unleash a kind of tsunami of populism or, or what? Um, I think on the turnout, it's interesting because um, although I absolutely agree with you, Jeff, about, you know, the world through the prism of identity politics is entirely, again, a kind of, it's an elite preoccupation. So they're kind of saying how many Latinos voted and so on and so forth. But I think because Trump himself plays that identity game and says all Muslims and all Mexicans and so on and so forth, you can understand in that sense. So I think this relates to the turnout because what's extraordinary is despite the fact that he labelled whole groups of people and insulted them in, in many ways and, and, and so on, that actually Hillary Clinton was so unappealing that they couldn't bring themselves to vote for her. So one of the things that she needed to win, and they all kept saying, oh, they really, really pulled out the Latino vote. But she took it for granted, right? She took it for granted because he'd attacked them that they'd vote for her. And guess what? They didn't. So that's one thing. I think one of the things that we're seeing here is a broader crisis of authority. And I think this is very important because I don't think this will always be reflected in a low turnout. I think the particular circumstances of the American elections and the unpalatable options that people had meant that the disgust with the authorities uh, expressed itself, one, in a surprise Trump win, and secondly, in a, I can't bring myself to vote for either of them. We know that in the UK, in relation to the Brexit vote, which was, of course, a very different vote. But if there is one thing it has in common is the way it's both been discussed by the horrified uh, commentariat that people haven't done as they were told, but also by that sense of people wanting to take back some control of their lives and defying what they were meant to do, you know, defying those who told them how to vote and so on. There was a huge turnout. But, of course, ironically, the uh, discussion about democracy not working has happened in both cases. So in the UK, huge turnout of a massive millions of people, more than ever vote before, and everyone says plebiscite, we should never do that again, don't ask the people. In uh, the United States, smaller turnout, and people say they're ignorant, they don't know what they're doing, they didn't even bother turning out to vote, let's su suspend democracy. The fact that there are demonstrations going on in America now not demonstrations against Trump, but demonstrations against the vote, saying it should be ignored, suspended, is extraordinary. There's been a plethora of articles only in the last few weeks saying that democracy doesn't work. And I think that for those people who say that we should be frightened of Trump because he represents an authoritarian demagogue, and then to repost and retweet and say how important it is we read this article, which basically says democracy is over, we shouldn't trust the people. If I hear anyone else quote Plato, I mean, for God's sake. So we've all, it's philosopher kings, you know, we can't let these pled out and so on and so forth. When you ask what's going to happen around Europe, I think that it's not a tsunami of populism, but I think that because there's a crisis of authority of all mainstream parties, 
those parties that represent some form of change might well do better than um, than they've done in the past. And that will be a real challenge to the status quo. I mean, it is the most worrying thing out of all this, whether it's Trump or Clinton or whatever, is the at, people's attitude to democracy. And it, it, even the fact that the, these you know, relatively, uh, these protests with a few thousand people when 100 million people have voted in the election or, or whatever it is, are given so much coverage and there's a, such a disdain for what people have decided, which didn't used to happen in past elections when Ronald Reagan won or, or anything like that. People got on and they organised and they argued or campaigned against particular policies. You didn't question the system of election per se or, or the fact that ordinary people should be able to vote. And whether it's in America where people say, why is it divided into states anyway? Why can't it just be across the board and have a popular vote? I mean, obviously the clue is in the name United States of America. But lots of people are arguing those kind of things and saying it shouldn't be like this, these people shouldn't vote, it should be done in a different way. And just the whole, as Claire has said, the whole tenets of the basics of of our democracy and, and having a, a popular elections which everybody's involved all adults are involved is called into question in different ways and now people are looking to france and saying oh my goodness what about marine le pen and you just look and you think there's marine le pen and the fact that the french establishment or the french society can't throw up somebody who is credible enough to trance somebody like marine le pen is a reflection on the rest of french society not on the people of france or on democracy, or on anything else. The fact that Nicolas Sarkozy is seen as the only person who's a kind of saviour of France, uh, it, it's, it's, it's an indictment of various things, but it's not an indictment of, of democracy. So that's really, for me, the worrying thing. And the more people react against the established order, the more people see the answer is there's too much democracy, we have less democracy. And for me, that's the most worrying thing of this whole week, almost like the most worrying lesson of the whole year in many ways. One of the things that we've been uh, talking about, actually, uh, you know, Battle of Ideas festivals over the last few years and uh, sort of uh, amongst the Institute of Ideas people and so on, is, you know, the growing gap between the political elite and the commentary and the mass of, of, of ordinary people. It's just, it's just a chasm that it's just got larger and larger and larger. And one of the things that's extraordinary is that that sort of elite of people who run our society and think by the way that they should run our lives in everything from lifestyle policing to you know telling us what words we should use whenever we're talking you know all of these things they just don't get it they've all you know woken up um in the u.s and said well i woke up this morning i don't recognize the country i live in and there was exactly the same thing that happened uh, post-brexit they woke up in a country they didn't recognize which basically means that they haven't they have no knowledge of what's happened and i think you know um i can see that jeff you've got this uh philip mayer american rust uh novel just in front of you and um, which um you organized a discussion at, at the institute of ideas book clubs uh, five or so years ago i mean you know, even if they don't get out more, they should read a bit more, right? I mean, this is this is people's lives have been going on all that time. The fact that they have got further and further away from understanding the real lives, the real experiences, the real challenges that people have gone through, and I don't just mean economic. I mean the whole cultural shift away of 
is phenomenal. We then get the emergence of anybody, any politician, and this is where it's nerve wracking for those of us who don't want, you know, populist racists to get elected left, right, centre. But anyone who's got any kind of a popular touch, anyone who's got any insights, inevitably sounds as though they're talking to the people. Marine Le Pen, who, you know, not a politician I have any truck with. However, having heard some speeches, you can see that she is more in tune with concerns, at least, of the of French people than many of the French politicians. And as you say, that's neither her fault that she's more in tune than any of the other French politicians. It's certainly not the French people's fault. But just to indicate how far we got, because the BBC have decided to interview Marine Le Pen, Right, with no irony whatsoever, the liberal elite in this country are going mad and saying she shouldn't be interviewed. Some, you know, the Ma show has said, yeah, but she's got a third of the voters behind her. And they said, that's, don't give her any publicity. So what their, what people's attitude seems to be is, if I don't hear it, if I don't see it, it'll go away. A kind of real kind of student union, no platform, anyone I don't like approach to politics. But the reality is, is that just because they don't hear or see these things, it doesn't mean that other people, millions of people, don't actually then uh, themselves hear and see it. So y- you can just see that they're, they're not learning any lessons, is the point I'm making. Yeah, it is ironic that before the election in one of the presidential debates, Trump implied that he might not respect the vote. Um, and then immediately after losing, Hillary supporters and various other outraged individuals are now demanding that we do not respect the vote. So d- demonstrates that it's, in- it's entirely down to like w- whether you win or not. Whether and and I, and I think that that's uh, obviously a very very dangerous tr- uh, trend. I mean, I, I was quite heartened to to see Obama's comments um, saying, you know, we lose elections, we dust ourselves down, and and we, we come back again, and we have to accept that our fellow Americans have voted in good faith. He's got many flaws, Obama, but on w- one or two issues like free speech and no platforming on campus, and now about you know, the importance of the system itself. I think that he's been he's been very good. I just I, I I did want to raise, and I mean, I suppose it's just for the listeners to kind of talk about. Is that quite a lot of people are saying that you know Trump is a step too far. I mean, he really is the kind of fascist in our midst, and there there's a sort of I, I, I've just been maybe it's just on my mind because I've had several arguments in this direction only today. But people saying, well, yeah, he's qualitatively different. He's really is a kind of scary figure, and I think that we can expect, and I hope that we'll come back. I hope that we'll come back to these uh, kind of issues again because I do think that um, I don't want to be. Um, uh, glib about what a Trump presidency means. And there are people at the moment who are now saying, let's all calm down and maybe he'll be a good president. I don't, I think that's, that's the bit that I don't want to go down the road of going, you know, life carries on. It'll all be fine. Cause I'm, I'm actually nervous because he could do anything at any moment at any time, which is not to say that I think that we shouldn't uh, um, respect democracy, of course. But I also think that that point about, I mean, it's, it's the hypocrisy point is when people then say to you, you know, what do these people stand for? You know, he hasn't really got any policies. People have only voted for him because he's a racist, misogynist, or, you know, his character or his personality because he's on the tally. It, it, you'd think that um, Barack Obama, who, as I do agree with you, Rob, has said some, you know, said some reasonable things from time to time. But anybody think that Barack Obama got elected on a detailed policy platform? What he represented was kind of symbolically the kind of empty vessel of hope 
uh, eight years ago, but it just it was just the one that everyone liked. You know, it was kind of like, yes, we can. Yes, we can what? I mean, when anyone tried to ascertain what his policies were, he's actually achieved very little, and not just because of being uh, stopped by the uh, uh, Republicans. And so I think that in, in some ways these things really are understood by ordinary people as being just too faced at every single turn. It's always our people who are attacked and your people get away scotch-free. So don't let's let um, uh, uh, Trump off the hook, but also don't let's whitewash or think that Hillary Clinton would have been a great president or that Obama was a great president because neither of those things are true either. Okay, and on that point, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much, Claire and Jeff. If you'd like to listen to um, all the re- debates on America at the recent Battle of Ideas Festival, they've all been gathered together now on the Institute of Ideas website. And if you happen to be in Stockholm on the 19th of November, we'll be discussing that at our Battle of Ideas Stockholm event at Culture Housette. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to catch up with any of our previous podcasts, go to instituteofideas.com forward slash podcast. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>